0: The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Good evening. Tonight's scripture reading is from Ecclesiastes 3.20. We're on page 519 in your Pewback Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we encourage you to take one of these. Again, Ecclesiastes 3:20. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Good snowy day. Um, My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're so excited you've been able to uh, join us for our snowy Ash Wednesday service. Um, This day might be very familiar for some of you. It might be very unfamiliar for others of you, but to all of you, we're so glad that you are here. Uh, We hope this is a a special evening that makes you think about life and a lot of other things. Um, And so um, I'd love just to uh, pray for us. As we, uh, as we dive in uh, tonight. Jesus, thank you for the gift of gathering together. Uh, this, this day isn't, in particular, this topic isn't very often spoken of, and we want to be a people uh, who know how to live well and also die well, and so, God, would you... Uh, meet with us tonight. Would you stir us? Would you awaken us to whatever you want to awaken us to? Would you direct our thoughts, our emotions, and all of those things? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time to end my prayer, apparently. Um, I want to say this um, Ash Wednesday explores a lot of ideas that are shot through the Bible. Uh, its origin was in the 11th century. Um, It marks the beginning of Lent, which is a season of 40 days leading up to Good Friday and to Easter, which John talked about earlier. Uh, Lent is a season generally marked by fasting, by prayer, by generosity, by examination, by repentance. Um, And Ashwini is also an opportunity for us to do what the Latin phrase memento mori teaches us, which is to remember your death, to remember that you will die. It feels a little bit ironic celebrating Ash Wednesday here in Denver because, let's be honest, Denver isn't known mostly by its death, but mainly by its life. There's life blooming everywhere here. Youthful, healthy living, new restaurants, tech companies, breweries, coffee shops popping up all around us. People here are generally pretty, healthy people. Outdoorsy, living an active lifestyle, way more parties and happy hours and trips to the mountains than funerals. Why should we talk about death when we are surrounded by life? Isn't that just a downer conversation? Uh, Maybe for some of us, we're like, you know what? I'll talk about death when I need to talk about death, and that is not now. Once I have to, and so generally we keep death on the outskirts, we keep death on the periphery, we keep death in the shadows until we are forced to deal with it. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, working from the new Huckleberry Coffee Shop on Tennyson. How many of you guys have been there? Okay. A few of you, great shop. They took over for the old Allegro. It's like great natural lighting. They had a local artist do this new colorful, vibrant mural on the back wall. All the food and the, and the coffee that you'd expect from a, from a solid third wave coffee shop here in Denver. People in and out. And I took a call actually from Tom, who I'm gonna be talking with tonight, to talk about this service. So I was over against the wall and I was talking to him and I was talking about the question. this question, what does death teach us about life? Or how does dying actually teach us about living? And I got off the phone and, I, and, I, and I, the guy next to me was like, excuse me, I, I didn't mean to eavesdrop on your conversation, but I couldn't help but overhear this phrase, what does dying teach us about living? And I just want to say this, I didn't expect to hear that phrase here at Huckleberry Coffee Shop today. He goes, this is an intriguing question. And then his next question gave insight into what I think is most people's approach to death and the conversation about death. He asked me this, are you in hospice care? So that was, his, that was his question. He's like, oh, you're talking about death. Are you in hospice care? And I'm like, man, I hate to break it to you, but I'm actually a pastor at a church in town. <laughs> that was the end of the conversation. I mean, no, it wasn't. Um, I was like, yeah, we're, we're, uh, there's a service, actually Ash Wednesday, that every, every year we come back to, and it's a day that remembers that all of us will die one day. He's like, oh, that's cool. Like, people in Denver, like, into, like, Eastern things. So, like, that's, that's right on. That's right on. Um, I was like, yeah, man. Um, and so, well, how does death teach us how to live? Isn't this typical of how we view talking about death here in Denver? We've relegated conversations about death to those in hospice care, to those in medical professions, and to funeral homes. We don't want it in our own home. We don't want it over our meals. We will deal with it when we are forced to. And yet, this is the gift of Ash Wednesday. This is the gift of the Christian year. We get to do things and invite us, in, in the, they invite us to do things that we don't naturally do. And so considering the reality of our impending death is a powerfully formative act in the now, not just in the future. Ash Wednesday interrupts our fantasy living with a sober dose of reality by inviting us to an annual rehearsal of your own funeral. Every year Ash Wednesday says, you are a year closer to your death. And we will keep practicing this until it's no longer a dress rehearsal. We will be laid in the grave, every last one of us. I don't know about the thought of death for you, what it does to you. It might paralyze you, it might lead you to terror, to fear. We might end up obsessing over it, being paralyzed by it. Why cause unnecessary stress or drama? I'm just here to enjoy the mountains, man. And yet the Bible teaches us a very different understanding of staring at the reality of our own deaths. In a psalm poem, uh, penned by Moses, Psalm 90, verse 14, Moses says this, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of what? Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Denver tells us, don't bother numbering your days. You're not that old. But simply enjoy them as they come. Chase after whatever everyone else is chasing after. Pleasure, money, status, experiences, the promotion, the house. If it's not the house, maybe it's the mountain house. Fill in the blank. I want to say this to us. Unnumbered days are the evidence of folly and foolishness, not wisdom. Numbered days lead us to get a heart of wisdom. Our future deaths have much to teach us about life in the present tense. I think it's precisely because of our uh, uh, aversion to talking and thinking about our impending death that I think Denver is in desperate need of Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday should be celebrated more here in Denver. This day can serve to wake us from our slumber and our folly. I love songwriter and author Andy Squires, and we can put a quote up there. Uh, He said this, From my earliest memories, I've always been obsessed with the brevity of life. The knowledge that life is finite discomforted me even from a very young age. Ash Wednesday has the potential to take us from paralyzing fear to awestruck wonder. I want to repeat that. Ash Wednesday has the potential to take us from paralyzing fear to awestruck wonder. As we wallow in the brutal realities of this life, we can be taught to sing a song of praise even in the very worst of troubles, even in the face of death. Ash Wednesday has helped me face my own mortality and moved me to sing a grateful song that goes like this. Life is terrible. Life is beautiful. God is good. And this is how I want to approach tonight. Ash Wednesday. It uh, comes to us holding two handfuls of, of physical items, two handfuls. In its right hand, it comes to us with a handful of dust, and in its left, a handful of ashes. And that's Ash Wednesday's gift to us today, and I hope that you take them with you as you leave from here. Dust and ashes. Let me explain. The first hand: dust. The word dust in the Bible is less something we're allergic to and sneeze around because we haven't cleaned our house. It's more of a reference to the dirt of the ground that we stand on. In the Bible, we find the word dust tied both to our creation, but also our own mortality. God created us from the dust of the ground. We read it tonight, Ecclesiastes 3.20. All go to one place, or all go to death. All of us die. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Dust reminds us that we're creatures, we had a beginning, every one of us, but also that we have an expiration date. We have an ending. Though we like to think otherwise, we are dusty creatures to our core, through and through. If you follow the use of dust in Genesis, you'll realize that God created us from the dust of the ground, and he breathed his life into us. And then what did we do with this divinely borrowed breath that he gave us. We took that breath and we chose to rebel against him. We sang, thank you for the life. Thank you for the beautiful things you've given us. We don't need you anymore. And we sought to find life away from the author of life himself. And all we found was a mouthful of death. A mouthful of death. Just like our dusty forefather and our foremother We too are dust, that are prone to wander, and like them, our end is the ground. None are excluded. In the word of Ecclesiastes, all go to one place. All of us die. I was uh, confronted with my own dustiness, my own frailty a few weeks ago. I, uh, I crushed the beginning part of my day. How many of you guys are achievers? Out there, so like, got your task list, your to-do list. Like, I like, I kind of slayed the first part of my day. I woke up early. I, I worked out. Went home. Showered. Got my got breakfast for the girls. Um, took them. Took you're like, mm-hmm. That's me. Um, <laughs> took them. Uh, uh, my two oldest daughters were checking out of middle school. I dropped them off over there, which is a weird thing. They're getting older and older. My goodness. Um drove down to Ikea after that, picked up a couple items from Ikea. Holla, that's a feat unto itself. Drove back, got my oil changed. Um, I had a friend pick me up there at the oil change spot. Um, I went, went out for lunch with him. He brought me back, grabbed the car, went home. John Pedersen met me over there. He was helping me with a task in the home. And while he was there, all of a sudden I was like, man, my lower left back is just hurting. I was like, John, I'm not feeling too well. I'm just gonna lay down over here on the couch. Well, I'm like sweating profusely. I don't know what's going on, like pain in my lower left side. I'm like, my goodness, I've never experienced this. Then John like keeps coming over and checking. I'm like, are you okay? And I'm like sweating. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't know what's going on. I've never really felt this before. Um, before you know it, I'm like throwing up. You know, I'm like, I'm like starting to shake. The daughter, my daughters are our home eventually. And they were like seeing me shaking. I'm not trying to freak them out, but like at that point, I don't really care. I'm like, I am suffering right now. And so really, I went from like being on top of the world to really just being in a crippling place. And I had this thought. I said, man, I think I need to go to the hospital. And I don't know like how well I'm going to do. This might be the beginning of the end. I had that thought. I was like, I don't know what the prognosis will be. I was like, maybe this is, is something else. But and so I texted Maureen. I was like, hey, can you come home? I think you need to take me to the hospital. She took me to the ER. As many of you might guess, like I had kidney stones. Praise God for pain meds. It was awful. Like I was in the waiting room and everybody was like trying to keep their distance. And then like, as soon as like Morgan would move a little bit, they, they, they'd be like, like, hey, what does he have? You know, What's going on with him? Everybody's keeping their distance because I just was like throwing up there, like shaking and just sweating, you know? And then I was like begging the front desk. I was like, please, can you get me a bed? Something, just, I need some pain meds. I need something, you know? And they finally got me in. It was a kidney stone. I passed it the next day, but like, it was, it was this moment of realizing my own dustiness. And you might think, You know, well, oh, yeah, like, you know, like that just happens. But like, I was confronted with the reality that life often doesn't go the way that I would choose for it to go. And I think I had a pretty good outcome of it, but I'm not promised that outcome. Does that make any sense? I'm not promised that outcome. And for some reason, we live as if we're promised something. And yet Ecclesiastes tells us otherwise. All go to one place. We are made of dust, and to dust we shall return. I think Denver tries to teach us to ignore our dustiness, to live without limits, do whatever we want, when we want. Ash Wednesday comes and taps us on the shoulder and says, from dust you came into dust, you shall return. And I think we need to learn to live in light of that reality. These bodies that we have will one day fail us, in multiple micro ways, but ultimately in one final macro way at the end. So in its right hand, dust, in its left hand, Ashes. Ashes. That's what Ash Wednesday uh, hands to us tonight. Ashes are literally the destroyed remains of something that's been burned. Ashes are what happens when something is thoroughly burned through and through. They're a symbol of destruction in the end. In the Bible, if you do a word search uh, for ashes, generally they're associated with grief, with mourning, with penance. uh, They're often used actually together with dust and ashes. Abraham, Job, and Ezekiel all paired these words together. People would put ashes on their head as a sign of repentance, of turning away from sin, turning to God, asking Him for mercy, asking for Him for help. Ashes are a reminder in the words of Paul in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The paycheck for our wandering, dusty ways from God and turning away from Him is death. What we've learned with all of our what we've earned with all of our sinning are dust and Ashes. And ashes are a really powerful image for what the season of Lent is all about. It's about repentance. Ash Wednesday reminds us in the words of Martin Luther that the Lord Jesus will that all of life be repentance. Or all of life is repentance. All of life is to be ashes. I think often we think of repentance as, some, as something that somebody does when they first come to Jesus. to say, hey, repent from your sins, turn to Jesus. Great. Okay. I, Prayed, prayed the prayer, am I good now, am I done with repentance? Or repentance is maybe something that somebody that's kind of uh, committed a, a, a heinous crime needs to get in front of a lot of people and confess. Those are like these, these categories for repentance. And sure, those things need to happen. But repentance also includes all of the in-between moments, the small and the large moments as well. It's a turning to Jesus again and again and saying, oh, what a savior, isn't he wonderful? And that's the call of the Christian life. That is the call from the beginning to the end of our Christian life. Issa McCauley wrote a book called Lent, The Season of Repentance and Renewal. And he says this, it'll be up on the screen. Lent is inescapably about repenting. Repentance is a change in direction, a spirit-empowered turning around. While repentance is required of new followers of Jesus making their first steps towards God, it is also the means by which all followers of Jesus start again when we have failed. When we have failed, we cannot escape death or a need for a savior. Dust and ashes are written into our story until death and sin are no more. I want to I do this. I want to invite Tom Granis uh, up. He's a member from Park Church. Come on up. Um, in a very real sense, he walked through and experienced what I would call not just an Ash Wednesday, but an Ash season, an Ash month um, at the end of 2022, right? Is that right? Twenty. 20- 20, 21. Yeah, 21. 21. Uh, and he had a, a face-to-face encounter with dust and ashes, and I want to just ask him a couple questions about his story. And so, Tom, tell us a little bit about your family, what you do, and then also what happened at the end of 2021.
1: Sure. Thanks, Joel. Um, my name's Tom. Um, my wife is Jennifer, and I have two children, uh, Ashby and Coleman, that uh, come to Park Church with us. And... Um, Joel asked me a few weeks ago, he, he called me up and said, hey, didn't you almost die a year ago or something? <laughs> and he said, I, yeah, I think so. And he said, why don't you come tell a bunch of people about it? And I was like, oh, that's, that's great. I, that's the last thing I want to do. But I tell you, I, I prayed on it and further conversations with Joel. I said, this is a really interesting opportunity and I, I really I just wanted to kind of talk candidly about what I went through. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant for me, but I found just kind of thinking through it again, I've really pulled some really, I think, interesting and re- spiritually really satisfying moments from, from what I went through. So, um, just to give you a little background, I, I got COVID in November of 21, or right before Thanksgiving, about a week before Thanksgiving. And it was a severe case of COVID. Um, I didn't have any pre-existing conditions, but um, I ended up getting pneumonia, blood clots in the lung, uh, bloodborne staph infection on top of COVID. And the doctors gave me about a 50-50 chance of survival. It was pretty significant. So I went into the hospital, thinking it was just a, a regular old case of COVID. They'd give me some drugs and they'd send me home. Didn't happen that way. They immediately put me in the ICU and then he told me that I was not recovering quickly enough and that they had to put me in a medically induced coma and put an in intubate, which means put a breathing tube in you. And I had five different IVs and other things that I won't get into and, and the tube and they put me under and the last thing I remember before I went under, I gave it all to the Lord. I said, God, there's nothing I can do. I'm here and it's the most humbling experience you can possibly imagine because when you're facing death right, we, there's nothing else and I'm, I'm kind of a type A personality I like to control everything in my life I'm just, that's the kind of guy I am and I was laying there totally incapacitated, more helpless than an infant and I realized I have nothing, I have no control of everything and I just, I laid it out to the Lord I said, it's up to you God I, there's nothing I can do I woke up four days later didn't know where I was. It happened to be on Thanksgiving, which I thought was kind of apropos now that I I kind of look back on it. And the doctors said, you're lucky. We've never seen anybody since COVID started recover as quickly as you did. Four days. He said, average is seven days. Anything after nine days, your survival rate goes down to about 10%. So to me, it was a miracle. I, I was able to pull through. It showed me that God has something else planned for me i don 't know what it is i 'm on his timeline i've no clue <laughs> typically i have no idea what he wants for me, but I know there 's something there because he saved my life and i 'm here to talk about it and um, you know i 'm just a better person for it, quite frankly.
0: so to talk a little bit about that, like how did that shape you kind of coming out of the hospital and back into every day? I mean, it took you a while i think was it three weeks to kind of learn how to walk again?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a tough, so just living was, was great. I pulled out of that part, but then they, there was, I, I had to recondition my lungs. My lungs were down to 30% capacity. And as anybody, you know, in the medical profession, that's not good. So I had to build that back up. Uh, when I went into the hospital, I was two hundred and twenty pounds when I came out, I was one hundred and eighty nine pounds i couldn 't walk I had to go to physical therapy to they, I literally had to learn how to walk again. All of my limbs had atrophied all my muscles were just were, were non existent for the most part so going through that even that process, it was almost another rebirth right I had to start from scratch and I had to it, you can't help but be humble. I mean, you know, those gowns they give you are bad enough, right? And But the idea that I, I couldn't do anything. I could, I could barely feed myself. I couldn't breathe on my own. Oh. I couldn't walk. I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. It oh. was, it, you know. And so that whole process going through that, you're at rock bottom. Like, you, oh. I don't think of any way you can get any lower than that. And so there was no, nowhere but up. And it wasn't a it wasn't like a negotiation, like you see on TV. It's like, oh, honestly, God, I'll I'll go to Africa and be a missionary or something. If you just get me through that, it wasn't anything like that. It was it was a surrender, and once I surrendered, it was just it was complete peace. The only thing I, I worried about my family, of course, but I wasn't worried about myself. I was like, God, it's up to you. And so since then. Now, the struggle, to a certain extent, is am I living up to His expectations? And that's a heck of a motivation, right? It's like, I don't want to let God down. And I, every day I think about it, and I, I'm literally the definition of praying without ceasing. I pray for trying to find a parking space. Like tonight, I was like, God, help me find a parking space around here, Good right? Good luck. Yeah, it just, you know. And and I get the I get that I think God has a sense of humor and I think that's what He tells me. Good luck if you would have left earlier, you might have gotten one. But anyway, <laughs> um, it is it's such a great feeling of peace. And I guess the message I would bring to you is if you can if you can go there and get there without looking death in the face, right? No, I don't want anybody to go through anything remotely close to what I did. If you can get there and appreciate your life, and humble yourself, and strive for that complete and total peace by giving it all to the Lord. I mean, I encourage that in any way you possibly can, because it's, it's amazing.
0: Thank you. Can we say thank you uh, to Tom? Um. I, we, we prayed for Tom as a church last November. Um, and, and I'd love just to maybe just pray right now and say thank you. I, I don't know if we've ever done it in front of the church. I'm kind of just, I'd love to just say thank you to God uh, for preserving your life. Is that is does that sound all right? Oh, absolutely. All right. Um, God, I thank you for Tom. I thank you for uh, this man. I thank you for, for walking uh, him through a near escape from death. Um, and God, we pray a blessing over his life uh, from dust he came to dust, he shall return. But I pray just for wisdom as he lives out the rest of his days, teach him to number his days that he would get a heart of wisdom and teach us to. Thank you for the things you, you've taught him. Thank you for the things that you've taught us through him, for a blessing on him and his family. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.
1: Thank you, God bless.
0: Um, just before we uh, take communion, I want to do this. I want to lead us through a time of silent reflection. So if you feel comfortable with this, close your eyes. And I want you to picture a funeral. You're at a funeral. Just look around in your mind's eye. What does it look like? In this case, it's actually your own funeral. And as you look around your own funeral, I want you to ask yourself these questions. Who's there? What is written on your tombstone? Can you see it? As people at the funeral begin to share about you, what are some of the things and some of the ways that they describe you? What was your relationship with God like leading up to your death with others? What was your relationship with money like throughout your life, with technology, with your character? If you can be honest as well, uh, is your current life trajectory headed towards this desired end? Or not, or maybe if you imagined a, an honest funeral that things weren't the way you'd hope them to be. What might an invitation from Jesus be to change in your life? I want to say this to you all: Ash Wednesday and Lent is a wonderful gift to remind you that life does have an expiration date. But in particular, this season of Lent is a twofold invitation to both grieve where you're falling short but also ask God to grace you with the ability to move in that direction so that when you die, you stand before God and mankind changed. Allow God to meet you today in this moment, but also over these next 40 days and beyond. But consider if there's something that stood out to you, talk to a friend, a spouse, someone from your gospel community, talk about your hopes, your prayers. All right, you can look up. I want to close uh, by taking uh, communion together as well as having stations for the imposition of ashes. Uh, So I want to invite the band to come on up as well as those serving in other ways. Um, The only way, I want to say this to you all, the only way we can make sense of our death without fear or without terror is to look hard at the death of Jesus in our place. Jesus took on human form, coming from the dust of the ground, and ultimately to dust he returned, though he never sinned, in order that he might offer to us eternal life. His life was reduced to dust and ashes so that we might rise from the ashes with him. He doesn't offer us an escape from death or escape from suffering or pain, but rather he offers us a reconciled relationship to our Father. I love the first question from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's going to be up on the screen. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. To live for Him. Our hope isn't for a long life, it's not for a fun life, it's not for an easy death. It's that for the Christian we belong to Christ, body and soul, and that ultimately nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not even death itself. We're going to have uh, three stations. We're going to have two stations up here at the front for communion, um, and uh, so you can come down the middle aisle and grab that. Image. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at Parkchurch.org. Take care.